to ask you about your thoughts on dating, what would you say? What would you say? Uh, just make sure she's got banging features and you're good. Or, does he or she come from money? If so, put a ring on it. Is he extravagantly romantic? Instead of going to dates at Brahms, we're going to Bordinos, baby. But what's the problem with this way of thinking about dating? What's the problem with this kind of thinking? The problem is that it's inherently selfish. And now all the air in the room just got sucked out. The problem is that it's inherently selfish. It's superficial. It's focused on what you want to get out of the person. Now understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be attracted to the one that you date or that it's not a deal breaker if there are questions about whether or not that guy can provide. Okay? Those things are important, but they're not ultimate. However, I want to argue today that the, cre- the key ingredient to anyone pursuing someone of the opposite sex, the view toward marriage, is wisdom. That's the key ingredient. Biblical wisdom is the key ingredient. And what is this wisdom? Job chapter 28, verse 28, which is Brad is going to be preaching through today, says, And he, that is God, said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. That is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15, verse 33, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And humility comes before honor. But many believe the pathway to happiness comes at the expense of holiness. That true happiness is really just kind of the removal of all holiness. Do you want to be happy? Let there be no restrictions to what you can do in dating. But the Bible really flips that on its head and says it's, that true happiness comes through holiness. It's living wisely in God's world under his authority that you will find true happiness. Holiness is really the conduit, the pathway to happiness. Proverbs 3, 13 through 14 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. And godly wisdom begins with humility and not our own opinions. That's important. If you miss that, you're going to end up having a worldly understanding of dating, shallow, shallow understanding of dating. Godly wisdom begins with humility and not your own opinions. To paraphrase an old dead guy, We don't come weighing God's judgments. That is really just kind of God's word, all that God has said. We don't come weighing God's judgments to our own balances or our own scales or to take it upon ourselves to be judges and arbiters of them. So to have wisdom is to have humility. And to have humility is to submit to God's word with all that he has to say about relationships. Where do we find this wisdom? We find it embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says, And because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, why? So that, as it is written, 
Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we boast not in our own opinion, but in the one who is wisdom from God. God has revealed his wisdom to us personally in the person of Christ. And so this wisdom is available to anyone who will turn from yourself and you will trust in Christ. It's for anyone who does that. Because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. So do you want to know how to pursue the opposite sex toward marriage? I'm sure a resounding yes would come from you. Pursue Christ. It will take biblical wisdom to know how to date well, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Biblical wisdom for understanding how to date well. So before we begin jumping into just practical advice, I want to define terms. And I want to begin by looking at a history of dating. How the previous generations understood the pursuit of the opposite sex toward marriage. You can find a lot of these histories, whether it be in Keller's uh, Meaning of Marriage um, or many other books. They can give you history of dating. It's fairly well documented on down from the ancient times. So it begins with the ancient Near East, Old Testament times, on up to the 18th and 19th centuries in America. Most marriages were arranged. They were arranged. Many of the motives for marriage during this time were really social and financial. The family wanted a connection. They wanted to make sure that the person who was going to be marrying their daughter could be able to provide for the family and provide children. By the time you get to the late 19th century, the motive began to change toward marrying for love. Marrying for love. And this began with what is called calling or courtship. You may have heard that. Courtship. A guy would schedule a time to meet a young dime piece in the parlor or the sitting room of her parents' house. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? If the relationship progressed a little further, the couple would advance to her parents' front porch. It's getting a little risque. A little risque. Right? All under the watchful eye of the parents. After the turn of the 19th century, modern dating took off. No longer did the man come into the parents' home. Instead, he went and got his dime piece and took her out of the parents' home to take her out on the town. And this began to individualize the process of dating away from community, doing dating within community, family context. And so the final change happened around the turn of the 21st century, and it's known as the hookup culture. A hookup is, simple, is a simple sexual encounter without the condition of conducting a relationship. Fairly simple. A hookup is a simple sexual encounter without the condition of conducting a relationship. So commitment, intentionality, dating exclusively, you might as well just throw those things out the window in the hookup culture. And what we see is a movement away from pursuing character in the context of community to pursuing money, sex, and personal fulfillment. And what we need to realize is that with all of our views, all of our views on dating in one way or another have probably been affected by how the culture has thought of this concept of dating. At some point or another, every single one of us in here have been influenced by how the culture thinks about dating. So how do we respond to this? We respond by not being passive. Instead, you pursue biblical faithfulness regarding this topic. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul tells us that we're not to be conformed or shaped or fashioned into the image of this world. We need biblical clarity in order to understand how we ought to pursue someone of the opposite sex. So what does it mean to date in a God-honoring way? What does that look like? What does that mean? Dating is found nowhere in the Bible. And the thing is, I could tell you a lot about dating this morning, but I've only got 25 minutes. I cannot say everything that there is to know about dating in one sitting right now. So if you have questions about this, I'm always happy to help. There are lots of resources. Trust me, there are tons of resources out there that I would love to send your way and even talk to you about that. Haley would love to talk to you about that as well. So please just come and talk to me about it. We would love to help you. All right, so there are helpful biblical truths to guide us in these relationships. Biblically speaking, Christian dating consists of a relationship between a believing man and a believing woman with marriage as its goal, which doesn't mean that the relationship will always end in marriage. But when you begin that relationship, it should have marriage as its goal. And secondly, it should be conducted under some kind of authority. It should be conducted under authority. So the first part of that, it has marriage as its goal. Alright, so this is not casual dating with no commitment. Right? You shouldn't start dating until you're ready to get married. You should not start dating until you're ready to get married. You should not start dating until you're ready to get married. There it is. Where is that in Scripture? Where is that in Scripture? You're just making this up. Well, we mainly see it in a lack of category for dating. Scripture teaches three types of relationships. They teach family relationships, neighbor relationships with one another, with us in here, and then marriage relationships. Jesus praises marriage and singleness in Matthew 19, and Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But nowhere in Scripture is there a model of men and women pursuing a romantic relationship outside of marriage. There is no category for that. And outside of this, we see Paul warning young men against defrauding their sisters in the Lord, which means don't take what is only yours in marriage and act as if it's yours outside of marriage. Don't defraud your sisters in Christ. Dating is not a casual, commitmentless game. It's the serious pursuit of another toward marriage. Secondly, the second part of that, It's conducted under authority. Now, in the Old Testament, the father had authority of his daughter's life with regard to marriage. He had to protect her from any harm that she could get herself into with another boo. In the New Testament, one church's family begins to fill some of the roles that is played by the family in the Old Testament. And we end up losing some of that straight-line authority that we had from the Old Testament. So, for example, the author of Hebrews says that believers have authority over each other to help protect each other from sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. We also have responsibility to submit to the leadership of the elders in the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. So as a Christian, no aspect of your life is purely private or beyond the accountability of others. You have to have people speaking into your life when it comes to this matter. So the goal of Christian dating is not immediate intimacy, but future intimacy. The Christian's understanding of relationships is, by, is guided by God's word. Commitment 
comes before intimacy for the Christian. A worldly dating philosophy advocates for just playing the field by seeking intimacy now in order to figure out what you want in a mate. Worldly dating uses its own corrupt judgment and opinions to guide its relationships. It sees holiness as the enemy to true happiness rather than the conduit through which true happiness actually comes. All right, so knowing this, how do we move forward? Last point, number three, practical advice. Practical advice for dating. What you came to hear. All right. Number one, focus on holiness. Focus on holiness. I believe there's like five or six of these. Number one, focus on holiness. As one person put it, many college men only focus on the type of woman they want to date and marry. And they fail to consider how they must grow to become a man worth dating and marrying. So no matter if you're a girl or a guy, as a believer, you're called by God to be holy as he is holy. Your life is to be a representation of the true holy one of God, Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The author of Hebrews tells us to strive for holiness without which you will not see the Lord. In Hebrews 12, 14. And finally, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And your neighbor as yourself. You will not truly and deeply love someone else if you do not first and foremost love God. You cannot truly, deeply love someone else without first and foremost loving God. And if you love God, then you will obey his word. Even when your fleshly desires don't want to obey it, you're going to obey God. So pursue Christ, find an older godly woman or man in the church to imitate. Men and women who love the Lord. They love their spouses, their friends, and their families. And they serve others in the church well. If you need help looking for one of these relationships, I'm more than happy to help you with those. Okay? I would love to help you with that. Number two, what should I look for in someone to marry? What should I look for in someone to marry? Now, most of the world will say that you need someone with a good personality, good looks, or as Trip Lee says, banging features. You need a good sense of humor, someone who is fun-loving. And nothing's really wrong with these characteristics. Nothing's wrong with them. Okay? But they're not inherently biblical. So what does the Bible teach us about finding such a person? Number one, we need to look for character. We need to look for character. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Long story short, you want a woman or a man who fears the Lord. Full stop. That's what you want. A man or a woman who fears the Lord. So a couple of questions to ask yourself about this specific person. Right, so now we're into subpoints. We're into subpoints under point number two. A couple of questions that you need to ask yourself about this person. Are they a growing believer? Now I know that that may seem basic, but believe me, so many people will cave under that first question. Your goal isn't just to simply check a box whether or not they prayed a prayer when they were seven years old. That's not the goal. 
You need to do your homework. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? Believers marry other believers. Believers don't marry unbelievers. That's what it would mean to be unequally yoked. Second question to ask yourself. Does their life show clear fruit of the Spirit? Does their life show the fruit of the Spirit? From Galatians chapter 5. Third question. Are they fruitful in ministry? What I mean by that is they don't have to be a deacon or an elder or a small group leader. But it does mean that you need to see some action, some fruit that's being born in their lives. Number four, do they have a love for others? This is what Jesus said will mark us out to the world in John chapter 13, verse 35. They will know, you by my, they will know me by your love for one another. Question number five, do you share the same view of marriage? Understanding those roles in marriage. That the man is to lead, to protect, and to provide. The woman is to submit and to respect. Do you share the same understanding of roles in marriage? From Ephesians chapter 5. Number six. Understand, you can keep going on and on with these. I'm just giving you some basic, basic questions. Number six. Do you trust their character, and do others trust their character? You need to ask around. You need to talk to people about these people. And then finally, number seven, are they a member of a healthy local church and being discipled by other believers? Can they commit to other believers by being a member of a local church? Are they being discipled by someone within that church? that you can go, and and the question that I just asked, you can go and you can talk to. Are they growing spiritually? Hey, is this wise for me to pursue this relationship or not? And you would want somebody to do the same for you. I know that it was like that for uh, Kristen and I. But yet, we did not succeed in every area. We failed many a time. All right. These questions can help to evaluate whether or not you should start dating that person. And it can serve as an outline just basically for your own life and an outline for anybody's life. I mean, this is just basic growing as a Christian. Those are the kinds of questions that you can ask. And so understand, you're not looking for perfection. No one is perfect. Everyone is a sinner. You will fail. Everyone will fail. So don't be shallow. Don't misuse the list that I just gave you, this list of questions, to size someone up just to see if they're worthy. That's not the way that you use this. You're not trying to see who's the godliest person that you can convince to marry you. That's not what you're doing, right? But, right, you're looking for someone who will together better display the excellence of Christ, whether together or apart. That's what you're looking for. Someone who will better display the excellence of Christ, whether you're together or apart. So you're looking for someone whose greatest quality is that they fear the Lord which shows itself personally and corporately in love for Christ and a love for lost, for those who are lost. Big number three, under practical advice. How far is too far? You know you came for that answer. How far is too far? To ask this question, 
is to ask the wrong question. So we shouldn't be trying. <laughs> There's one laugh. Asking that question is the wrong question. Okay? We should not be trying to tiptoe the line of sexual purity in a relationship. You need to find your joy in your fulfillment in Christ. Don't settle for lesser pleasures. Don't settle for lesser pleasures that will never fully satisfy you and that God did not ordain for you to partake in until marriage. Don't settle for that. Listen to the strong words of Paul in Romans 13, 13, 13 through 14. And they are strong. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's tough to hear, if you're being honest with yourself. But Paul is telling us that any sexual relationship outside of a marriage is sinful and it's destructive. Sexual involvement of any kind before marriage is making provision for the flesh, and it is gratifying the desires of your own flesh. It is fundamentally selfish. Foreplay is just, a, it's just an on-ramp to the one-way street of sexual intimacy. And that will only lead to further and further, leads you further and further down the road to sexual intercourse. It's only going to lead there. It's the on-ramp to it. Your relationship with your brother or sister in Christ is part of how the gospel is made visible to the world. And your purity in your relationship will speak volumes to how you understand the gospel. So if I look at someone's relationship, I can know a lot about what they understand the gospel to be by their purity. You want to make the gospel visible to the world because obeying Christ is a far greater treasure than trying to get some immediate gratification out of sexual desire. Proverbs 11 Verse 14, actually, no, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says, Younger men treat younger women as sisters in all purity. You wouldn't do it with your sister in Christ, you're not going to be doing it in a relationship. The Bible has no category for an intimate sexual relationship outside of marriage. All right, underneath that, set boundaries and get accountability. Fellas, you've got to lead in this. Set boundaries and get accountability. Men, you are the one who lays out legitimate boundaries. Having a 3 a.m. curfew is probably not going to do, right? I mean, I speak for ourselves. I mean, we had like a 2 a.m. curfew. That was ridiculous. We did not need to be out that late together, alone. So a 3 a.m. curfew is not going to work. You're the one who sets the pace for purity. You're the one that's got to lay the groundwork for that. So run your, run your boundaries by a married couple in the church to give you feedback where you may be skimping on these areas. Married couples are great at being hardliners because they know exactly what it's like to have gone through the same thing. And then you want to have a group of guys or girls of the same gender in the church hold you accountable to keeping those boundaries. People need to be regularly asking you how you're doing with purity in the relationship. They don't need to just ask you what you did when you screwed up. They need to ask you why. Why you did that. They've got to get at the heart. They've got to get at the root of the matter. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, 
a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Right? So have many people in your lives holding you accountable, giving you advice in this relationship. Also, fellas, state your intentions for the relationship up front. I was stupid in this regard. I mean, because it took us like five dates in order for me to DTR, which was a little ridiculous. State your intentions up front within the first or second date. I mean, when, by the time you get to dating, you're obviously thinking you're dating toward marriage. You're obviously thinking that, hey, I'm ready to get married at some point. So you need to state your intentions. Ideally, you would have been friends for a little bit, hung out in groups, gotten to know each other. And by the time that you're asking her on a date, you're going to be asking her. Um, yeah, you're going to talk to her about how you have noticed these things in her lives that is attractive to you, but yet you want to pursue that uh, a little further in dating. Okay? Set your intentions at the outset of your time together. What happens if you've gone too far? What happens if you've gone too far? God is always ready to restore what sin seeks to destroy. God is always ready to restore what sin seeks to destroy. So turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Flee to him who died and rose for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're currently in sexual sin, turn from your selfish ways. And place your trust in in Christ, it may mean that you need to get out of a relationship that is godly and wise to do that. It may mean that you need to set up some hard line boundaries and you need to get that accountability that we just talked about. Number four, big number four, under practical advice, pursue intimate relationships. Brad sent me an article this week that was helpful. It's out of a chapter of a book on same-sex same attraction in the church. Uh, by Ed Shaw. It's a wonderful book. But it, he has a chapter in there on pursuing intimate relationships. So what do you think of when I say the word intimacy? What do you think of when I say that word? You think sex. That's exactly right. When I say intimacy, you think sex. And we often relate that intimacy with sex. But then what does that mean for singles? What does that mean for singles? Having intimate relationships with others doesn't always mean something sexual. There are such things as having deep, intimate friendships with one another. You should pursue those. And I love the advice that Ed Shaw gives in, one of the chap in that chapter in his book. He says, first of all, we need to make time for people. Friendships are built not through snatched conversations before and after church, but when we linger in each other's company. And he says, second, begin to share some intimacies with some friends. Trust them with your worries, your doubts, and your fears and pain. Ask them questions about how they're doing. And then third, persevere in those relationships. He goes on to talk about how it's often the, the strongest relationships that he has are often the ones uh, that he has failed miserably in. And they've end up, there has end up being some strife in those relationships. Continue to persevere even if you mess up at times in those relationships. Pursue intimate friendships. Go to the college hangouts. There should not be one girl that shows up. You need to go to the college hangouts. Now, that's on us that we ended up doing rock climbing. I understand that. That's probably not a feminine sport. Okay. Here on out, though, we've got many things that ladies should like to do. And in time, it is ticking away. 
So pursue intimate relationships. Get around one another. Go to the college hangouts. We'd love to see you there. Fifth, and finally, so am I ready to date? This question is actually, (laughs) this question is actually, am I ready to marry? And I don't mean, am I ready to marry him or her? But if I enter into this relationship and it moves forward to engagement at a good pace, am I ready to commit to marriage? If not, you probably shouldn't be getting in the relationship. You shouldn't be getting in it. So there are some situations where I think that we could say that we're not ready to date. The first one is that maybe you're a new convert and you just need time to grow spiritually. You need a little bit of time to grow spiritually before you lead your spouse or even a family spiritually. So if you're a new convert, that may be a reason why you're not ready to date. Secondly, maybe you've got a habitual sin problem, whether that's substance abuse, eating disorders, pornography. Understand, this isn't always a reason not to pursue marriage but sometimes it can be a reason. The advice would be to talk to someone in the church to get help with these sin issues, with these habitual sinful patterns in your life. Thirdly, maybe you need to address your finances or get your debt in order. I think that's a legitimate reason. You don't have to be rich to get married. You don't need to sit there and wait until you get bukus of money or try to establish yourself, right? This is the whole, this is the whole movement today with people later, getting married later and later in life because they want to establish themselves in their job. They want to make a certain amount of money in order to be able to set themselves up for the rest of their lives. Right? Does it, so that means do address your finances. Do address the debt that you have. But it doesn't mean you've got to be rich. But you should get married because when you get married, you're essentially taking on the responsibility to financially provide for your spouse and for your family. So are you ready to be married? Are you ready to be married? Well, I hope this talk is giving you some greater clarity to that question. And also just in pursuing relationships generally uh, with one another for God's glory. Okay? So right now, I'm going to ask Lindsay to come forward. I'll pray. And then I'll ask Lindsay to come forward. And then we're going to move into a couple of questions uh, during our discussion groups. So split up into discussion groups, guys and girls at those tables. Go to a different table that you're not usually normally, that you don't normally go to. All right? Welcome, Lindsay, for announcements. Let me pray first, and then I'll welcome Lindsay for announcements. Father, we give praise and thanks to you for your mercy that you have not just left us to ourselves to try to figure this out, but you've given us your word to help us to understand what it means to actually date in a God-honoring way. And Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we pray for wisdom that we would pursue Christ and look to others who are pursuing Christ for those that we would date. Lord, we pray that we would pursue Christ and, Lord, that we would trust in you uh, to provide someone uh, that we would potentially marry someday. And yet, Lord, we would pray, we pray that we would see even singleness just as God-honoring uh, is marriage. And, Lord, we pray that Christ would be exalted in all forms of relationships that we have in our lives. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.